Today we begin um, a series that we will be doing for a little bit of time uh, where we are going to go through the whole Old Testament uh, and we're going to see God's big story. And uh, it's going to be quite an adventure because we're going to attempt in, in many Sundays to go through a whole book of the Bible in one sitting uh, and try to con- uh, make it concise uh, and so you can understand the, the ebb and flow uh, of Scripture, that we can see God's story unfolding in front of us. Uh, and we're really, really looking forward to this opportunity. Today, of course, we'll begin in the book of Genesis. We're going to go through the first just 11 chapters. Genesis is, uh, there's so much in Genesis and such foundational material that we want to spend a little bit more time. So we're going to cheat a little bit uh, in the book of Genesis and spend uh, several, uh, a couple of weeks in Genesis. And the rest we'll try to cover usually in one, uh, one week time, a whole book of the Bible. In uh, 1997, uh, Wendy and I had been here for a year, and I was running Mission Brenham, and they, I was asked to also run Faith Mission at the time. Y'all know about Faith Mission. Food, clothes, shelter, uh, at that time, there were probably about 15 homeless people who had found shelter, were finding shelter there. Uh, they were giving away uh, food to uh, probably about 300 individuals. Uh, and so it was enclosed uh, to many more. And it was uh, uh, quite a big responsibility for a 23-year-old um, wet behind the ears. And so uh, I remember... I. I was asked, I came in and I had met with the board and if for those who have been a part of boards and nonprofits and stuff, you kind of have to learn the board and, and who's going to be on your side and who you need to kind of massage a little bit and, and take to coffee and, you know, uh, who are going to be difficult board members. So learning how to be a board member, uh, working with that board. And then, and then you go and I got to meet with the executive director. His name was Danny Escamilla and he and his wife ran the mission. She was outside in the garage. Have y'all been there? There's a, there's a big garage before. That was where all the, the clothes were. And so people could come and get clothes if they, they didn't have clothes. And, and then he would sit inside and he would interview people. And so he began showing me around this place. And I want to tell you, it was overwhelming. You have, uh, I'm sure most of you have started new jobs. And that orientation is kind of like, ah. And that's how I definitely felt. He, he took me to the uh, big card catalog, one of those kind of ones like you have in the library, you know, that he pulls out like this. And it had uh, files on all the different people who had been there. And each piece of paper represented a different story in a different life. It, it represented their struggles and their successes. And it was overwhelming. There was a whole case of all these names. And then, and then when, when he... I went outside, I saw this multitude of clothes and people bringing in clothes. And some of y'all have been to the, the dock here at Higgins Branch, and sometimes it's gone, you know. And that's how it was. And then, and then he, he opened up his drawer and he pulled out a big wad of keys. This is, this is my uh, much slimmed down version. This is my new life. But that life had... Just keys everywhere. And you looked in the drawer, there were keys that weren't even on the ring. 
and you're going, what in the world am I going to do with all these things? And then he began to take me to the different uh, shelters, and, and this door opens up this men's dorm, and this, this, door, this opens up this door, and this door, and the family dorm, and then there's a closet that has a key on it, and there were keys everywhere. And every time I went someplace, I'd open up a new place. And then, and so he, he showed me all those keys. Some of them uh, didn't have doors even. And then I went in the, in the drawer, and there was even more. I had no idea where all those went to the truck, into the trailer, into, uh, it was too much. Today, as we look in the book of Genesis, it is our orientation, it is a historic orientation. And there are keys that are going to open up many doors. And we're going to go in through those doors. And we're going to take a look around. What is this all about? As we read the book of Genesis, it also can be very overwhelming. Because we see there are a lot more keys, there are lots more doors. And it's going to take some time for us to understand what is this all about. In Genesis, we see the beginnings. In fact, the word Genesis, the first word in the Hebrew that is in this book is Genesis, beginning. It's where it all starts. Genesis 1. In the beginning. A great way to start off literature, isn't it? In the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. As we come to this, this story that would have been passed down orally for generations and generations and generations, I want us to do two things. I want you to approach this as your first time hearing it, or historically the first time anyone's heard it before. With all the questions that you might have, where do we come from? How do we get here? What do we like? Is there a God? What is he like? Are there gods? All those questions. I'd like you to start with a blank slate throughout history, but I also want you to come with your full slate of modernity of today, with all the questions that you have that are floating in and about, and we'll try and grab onto a few of those questions as we go, and then we'll apply them back and we'll have the, see what the answer is. What, it, what, does, what does God say about that? So you're, you're be two-headed beasts today, one of all of history and then also the person of modernity today as we come to this story, God is going to give us an orientation to what it's all about. The first orientation is in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now at that time, the earth was formless and void. It was empty, without shape. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Just as God said. And he called the light day, and he called the night, the, the darkness night, it was evening and it was morning. It was the first day of creation. Then God 
said, let the waters be separated from the waters, and the waters above, the waters below separated, and the space in between he called sky. And it happened just as God said. And God saw what he had made, and it was good. It was evening, and it was morning. It was the second day. Then God said that the waters on the face of the earth be separated from each other, and the land in between be called dry ground, and where the waters come together, they should be called seas. And it happened just as God said. And on the dry ground, there were seeds and plants that grew after their own kind. And God saw what he made. It was good. Then God created, he said, let there be a great light and let there be a smaller light. Let the great light govern the day and the smaller light govern the night. And then he created stars. And it happened just as God said. And because of those stars and because of the, the moon and the sun, because of those, there were seasons. And there was an order to things. It happened just as God said. And God looked at his creation, and it was good. It was evening, it was morning, it was the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters below teem with all kinds of living creatures, and the skies above, may there be animals that fly through the sky with feathers. And it happened just like God said. And God looked at his creation, and it was good. Creation was good. It was evening, it was morning, the fifth day. And then God said, let the ground have animals that run across it. And it happened, just like God said. And then God said, Let us create man in our own image. In our own image, we will create him. And it happened. Just like God said, Adam came out of the ground. He put his hand in the ground and he breathed into dirt. And out came a man. And God saw his creation. And he saw that specific creation of man. And he said, it was very good. Very good. It was evening. It was morning. It was the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Not because he was tired, because he was finished for now. Where did all of this come from? It came from God. The better question is who? The answer is God. Our first time hearing the story, we wonder around, where does all of this come from? Where, does this, where did this beauty, where did the sun come from? Where did the seasons come from? The answer is, all of it came from God. God existed when? God existed before the foundations of the earth. Before there was any form at all, God was. This is the kind of God that we worship. And God blessed them, the man and the woman, 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, listen, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God in his creation makes all of these things, and he makes man and woman, and he gives them a place, a place in this place he calls the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. And he says, now you can have, you can use all of this. All of this is for you and it is good. So enjoy. And he tells specifically to Adam. He says now to Adam. As he looks around the garden before Eve is there and he says, this is all very good, but there's one thing that's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. In the midst of this creation, it is very good, except for one thing is not good. It's when man is alone. Can anyone identify with that? Can you identify with, it doesn't feel good to be alone. I know, I know we have lots of introverts and you're like, I want to get alone. That's okay. But you can't be there that long. It's a different thing to feel alone. And to be truly by yourself. And that's where God found Adam. So this God that we worship has created a universe in which people like you and me, this first man, and even you and me today, we feel the same way. We need something else. We need somebody else. He's created us like this. And so what does God do? He answers this need and he takes from man's side a rib and he creates a woman and her name is Eve. And they are given free reign in this garden to have whatever they like, to enjoy it. But God comes to Ab and he says, in this garden, I want you to know that you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you shall not eat from this one tree, the knowledge of good, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. So our, our, our good uh, first readers of this would notice that it is in a, film, uh, a form called the hifel. Hifel means that it's an emphatic. Surely you will die. I don't know what the difference between dying and surely dying is. <laughs> but sure enough, you're going to die. God is emphatic. What do we learn about God? God has, God has some kind of standards. God has some kind of will. And when that will is tra transgressed, the answer is, you will surely die. Death is on the table for disobedience. Death is on the table. That's what we're learning. So Adam tells his wife about these uh, requirements of God. But one day, the, the wife, Eve, finds herself, the Bible says, near the tree. You know, as I hear that, I'm thinking to myself, why is she near the tree? The one tree in the garden that she shouldn't be next to. But then I get to think about myself. 
How often do I find myself near things that I know I should not be near? I feel a lot like that first man, that first woman. Maybe you do too. And there she is by the tree, and, and this serpent comes. And the serpent says, did God not say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? Wait a minute, I just read it. That's not what he said. <laughs> did not God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Because if you do, he knows you will be like him. And you will know good and evil. You'll be wise. You'll be like God. <clears throat> Sounds pretty good to be like God. There's a doubt that goes through her mind. Maybe God is holding back on me. Maybe I don't have enough voices. I need to hear this other voice too. Maybe there's something going on that's sinister that I don't know about. Maybe uh, this God is not a kind God at all. In fact, he's, there's plenty of opportunities for me to be like him, but he's keeping me down. He's holding things back from me. Things that are delicious and delightful. Things that will help me expand and grow and know and be like him. I think I find some of myself in that. Be like God. That sounds very tempting. To have my own way. To be looked on with great esteem. To be honored, respected, loved, cherished. To be powerful and glorious. I love it. And Eve did too. So she ate from the tree. The Bible says Adam was there with her too. Probably watching to see if she'd fall over. And he took and ate as well. They didn't surely die. They didn't surely die. But they felt something else. They did understand differently things. Whereas they'd only known good, now they have also known evil. And although they'd always been naked, now they felt themselves and knew themselves to be naked and ashamed. And so they went and hid themselves. As you're hearing the story for the first time, what do you expect is going to happen? Does God have a big hammer? What is it to surely die? Because you know it's about to happen. The Bible says, the story goes, that when God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, what does that tell you? This God has not spun creation out and thrown it and let it work like a clock, but that God is active and in creation. He's with his creation. He's with the created. And he walks in the garden. His presence is there. And he calls out to his children, where are you? And they are hiding. Have you ever felt that before? And that the guilt, that you don't want anyone else to know about it, and so you hide it? Keep yourself away from others? You don't let any people, anyone know about what your sin is because it's embarrassing? You surely don't want to be judged for it. Adam and Eve, I think I'm kind of like them. You? There they are hiding. And God comes to them. 
And Adam says, we were naked, so we hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? And Adam says, this woman that you gave me, gave me the fruit, and I ate it. This woman that you gave me. Do you see anything there? Guys? Anybody? Do we... Once it's pointing to us, we want to go, but you don't understand the situation. It wasn't me, really. It was you and her. Amen. You see how this story makes sense? Not only, you see, what happens is when we take this key, we open up a door, and we get to now walk inside of it. And so... The key is, God has made all things, that's the story, God has made all things in creation, and he's come to a people who are disobedient and want to be like him, and because they do that, they face the consequence of death. We've now just walked into that door. You know, there are other keys that that are on the key ring, that open doors too. There are other answers to where does all this come from. There's a modern answer that is very popular. It's a big, shiny key that opens the door, and it does open a door, and it says that all of this happened because of a kind of determinism, a kind of a, a biological machine that has been, that just happened, and in happening has grown in this direction and is making progress. And, and it's, it's a key that everyone, just about everyone has on their pocket. They're carrying it in their pocket. And so we want to ask about what happened in the very beginning. We open this key and we say, because there was some kind of cosmic thing that happened, a big bang that happened and began to spin all this to existence. And then from there, from that kind of a petri dish of of that big bang, something amazing, phantasmal happened. And something grew from there and grew and grew until it came to what we are today. Now, I want to tell you, that key is a very logical key. There's a lot of sense in that key. The challenge is, as you walk in that door, you also are having to take a lot of faith. Because that key, the existence of that key, or the work of that key, is exponentially impossible that all those things happened. The probability of all those things happening as that key suggests. But here's the second thing. As you turn that key and you go in that door and you look around, it really becomes a house of horrors. Because that key is saying that there has been progress from the beginning moving in the direction to what we, moving from disorder to order, and where you and I are now products of that, that there is progress that goes from here. And as you look around that room, that kind of progress, you have to ask, ask, what kind of progress is that? What kind of good progress is that? In a deterministic, mechanical way, how can you determine what is good? There is no good. Maybe we're going too fast and too deep. It's a door that you should open and look through, because in it, It is a house of horrors. But the key that we have says there was a divine creator from the beginning. And as we look around that room, 
we see a house full of creation and life, of goodness and evil. God then speaks to Adam and Eve because they have done what is evil. And I imagine they think their, their last breath is to be breathed. It's going to be the judgment for them. They will know death for the first time. But God doesn't kill them. Though something dies that day. He covers them with their leaves and their shame. He covers them with the skin of an animal. And he says to the snake, because of what you've done, you will be cursed. And and to the man, he says, because of what you have done, you will be cursed. The ground will be cursed, and the work that you've done will only increase. So now that you don't get to go and just pick the fruit and enjoy, but you've got to work by the sweat of your brow. And the, word, the, the ground is not going to be kind to you as it once was. And he says to the woman, now in your childbearing, things will be even more difficult. And you hear these things, you go like, all that makes sense. All those things happen. Those are real. I feel the, the pain of work. I, I see the pain of my wife's bearing children. These are all things that are real. That's where it came from. But then he says something very peculiar. God says to the woman, now of your offspring there will be one who comes and he will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. Did you catch that? There's a bit of good news in here. Just as everything has just fallen apart, God is saying, but wait, wait, I'm going to give you a son and the order is going to be switched and I will destroy that thing that tempts you. I will destroy the thing that, that causes evil in the world, that causes you to, to, to lose your minds. I'm going to send you a son. And so it's like God said, Adam and Eve have a son and his name is Cain. And the hope is, as we hear this story, that this is going to be the one who's going to crush the serpent. The serpent no longer was, I don't know, it was walking around or whatever, but part of the curse, it was going to slither on its stomach. So we expect then that this son is going to undo all the things that had been undone and remake them. The son is going to come and be a savior for Adam and Eve. And this son comes and he's named, his name is Cain. And then he has, they have another son and his name is Abel. And so these two boys are growing up and, and they're learning what it is to be followers and live in relationship with this God outside of the garden. Garden. Part of the curse was they had to leave this garden. And when they left the garden, they weren't going to be killed, but they were promised that they could not, in this condition, come back in the garden. And so they, God put two cherubim, and they had flaming swords. I don't know what cherubim look like, but I know what a flaming sword probably looks like. And they were to guard the entrance to this garden. Where is this garden? Anyone? I don't know. First readers, use your other head. Where, where would you know that garden to be? You would wonder, I've never been to that place. Today you can look on Google Maps and you still can't find that place. Where is it? But God says there is still this place, this garden, where there is a tree of life. And there are cherubim who guard that place. It makes you wonder as we turn that key. We open that door. Where is that garden? 
Where will we see it again? Surely we'll see it again. For our math teach, I mean, for our English teachers out there, this is called foreshadowing. <laughs> and so here they are. They're with their sons. The sons begin to give their sacrifices. Abel brings from his, his uh, flock. And Cain, who's a farmer, brings from his garden. And they give their sacrifices. And so for some reason, God is not satisfied with Cain's sacrifice. And he, and he lets them know. And Cain's face drops. And he becomes angry at his brother and he becomes angry at God because God is not satisfied with him. And instead of asking, what should I do differently? He just becomes angry. And God says, sin is creeping at your door. It is hiding at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. So we're hopeful. Cain, okay, here's the instructions, dude. Master that. Like, do something different. But what does he do? He leads his brother out into the yard and he kills him. And God comes to him and says, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And God says, even now the ground cries out with the blood of your brother. I thought he was going to be the savior. Cain, first son, he's going to crush Satan. He didn't crush Satan. He was maybe just as bad as Satan, right? Cain is now kicked out of the family. He's to move on. He's to be a wanderer. That's his God's Punishment for him, and he cries out to God, God, just don't let that happen, because if I do, there will be men who will jump on me, and they will kill me, because I'm a wanderer, and I'm by myself, you see, out of community. And God says, I will put a mark on you, so that if anyone does something to you, seven times will happen to them. Seven times worse will happen to them. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? God is faithful. We turn against him. We receive his punishment, but God also has mercy. This is the kind of God we have. He is not a capricious God. That means he just doesn't affect us for no good reason. He doesn't hurt us for no good reason, but he has a blessing for us. He has mercy for us. This is a peculiar kind of God. We move from Cain and Abel so now the earth gets populated with Cain and another son they have named Seth. And the earth fill, begins to fill with people. But now these people have become so evil that all they think about is evil all the time. And God finds one righteous man whose name is Noah and he tells them to build an ark and he builds an ark. And God floods the earth and repents of his creation for 40 days and 40 nights until all of creation is destroyed except for the family that he saved in the ark. The ark comes to rest. They get out of the ark. They build a, a, a place of worship and they honor God for his salvation, for, for saving them from the flood. And God tells them now, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just like Adam and Eve. It's like a new beginning. A new beginning. A new Genesis. 
you know what? Maybe it was we just needed a better man. You know, Noah, God said he looked across creation and he found only one righteous man, Noah. And so he puts him in that boat and he floats him along, kills the rest of them. So we get to start off. Maybe it was a problem. It was Adam was just a bad guy to start with. If we had started with a better guy, things would be okay. Noah's that guy. Doesn't take long before Noah's building, uh, uh, growing grapes and throwing parties. And he gets drunk. And he falls, I mean, he gets drunk. I mean, he gets drunk. Like, don't know your last name, drunk. That's why you just call him Noah. <laughs> and he's, he's laid out naked in his tent. I mean, he is drunk. One of his boys looks on him inappropriately, and it's, man, it got bad fast, didn't it? Noah's not the man. Noah's not the man. Then we see our last uh, story in these 11 chapters is, is a story of a, a place called Babel. And in Babel, the people come together. Let me read this. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for, for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with a top, with a top up in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, let us, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. We see the, the sin of Adam and Eve. We see the sin of Cain, how it got worse. We see the, the whole community. Now we have these groups of people who are coming together and they're saying, let us be someone together. Let us form a, a government, a people, and let's do this great work so that we can reach up to God and we can touch God and everyone will see us and we'll have names and we'll be somebody. We'll be like God. I, we read a few chapters before, we know that's not a good idea. And God comes down from an individual to a family and now the community, the community itself. And as we hear that, we think to ourselves, you know what? Our community is like that too. We, we think about our government and we think that that's going to save us somehow. It never saves us. We think about us as a people, as a, as a nation. That never saves us. Our nation is not glorious. God is glorious. And God comes down and sees what they have done. And he destroys the tower. And he sends them off in different languages, different places. And so we know. So that's where people come from. That's, that's why we have different languages and why things are so difficult among people. And so ends the 11 chapters of Genesis. Today we open many doors, and it seemingly we have more questions than we have answers. We see the story is going to continue to unfold. And one of the big questions we have, where is this son? Where is this son who's going to make things right? Where is he? It's not Cain. It's not Seth. It's not Noah but he's not there. And when, when we'll ever get to go back to Eden, will we? How do we get there? So stay tuned. As we open up more doors, as more keys appear to us, 
And we get to look deeply into these things and understand God's big picture. Where there's a story, Chesterton says, there's a storyteller. And over the next few months, we'll be looking at this storyteller and getting to know him a little bit better. Genesis 1 through 11. Let's pray.